I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What is going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means that you are certifiably awesome. If you don't know me by now, my name is James Milley. I am the managing partner and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the U.S., and also one of the top resources for all things art, artists, and marketing of your art. Today, we've got Taylor White here with us on the mic. Taylor is going to share an awesome masterclass with you today on how to produce your own show. I don't know about you, but I am so excited to hear what she has to say. But first, I've got an amazing offer here just for you AVP listeners. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you take the next step and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fairs. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine Fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we're offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. All right, so we're back here with Taylor White and we are ready to change the way that you think about your art career. Taylor White is an illustrator, muralist, and figurative artist whose work engages with the fundamental elements of being. Combining refined techniques of classical training with bright, unexpected color choices born from the residue of street art and pop culture, White's work explores the way in which we experience the formless chaos of potential through being and how the order we inhabit can sometimes dissolve backward into the incredible complexity from which it emerged. That is beautiful. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan, Taylor. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be a part of this. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, before we dive into it, Taylor, uh, I just want to ask you something to help our listeners get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? I would draw cartoons off of the television at the dining room table from the earliest age I can remember. Actually, if you want an even earlier memory, when I was born in a, in Ohio and my we lived in this house and my mother is not an artist herself, but she can be crafty when she wants to be. She spent like weeks before I was born stenciling these bears all over the wall in my nursery. And when she would sit in the rocking chair, I would face the wall and stare at the bears with my head bobbing back and forth like this intense focus on the bears. I think that's probably sparked something. That's so interesting. And I, I love that you not only have this memory of making art yourself, but also family members making art. Whatever like sitting there, just like staring at those bears did, I'm, I'm sure that it, it was uh, influential for, for kind of the rest of your life. I mean, that, that it sounds like it. I think any, any visual stimulation that early on, just it sparked a, it, it flipped a switch. Yeah. No. possibly perhaps i don't know i like to think so i like to give her that i would i would like to think so too and i i think you're probably right <laughs> <laughs> but but cool thank you for sharing that story um definitely it like takes us back and 
you know, early, early Taylor, I, I have a visual. So <laughs> cool. Okay. So let's go ahead and jump into the rest of the questions that we have. So Taylor, can you tell us a bit more about your own creative journey and what brought you to create the pursuit of happiness? Working backwards from today, I have been steadily making my career in muraling for the last 10 years or so. I kind of came into it out of an illustration background and fell into street art when I was living in Melbourne, Australia back in 2010, 2012, 2010 to 2012. And so I have this like hybrid skill set of, you know, illustrative work, fine art and and work in a public space. And I've been feeling for years, like as much as I enjoy and do enjoy public art and making murals, I've always felt very ambitious toward developing a fine art practice that's reliable. And part of that was trying to get fine artwork into galleries. But a combination of being, you know, having my focus divided into the street art realm, and then also kind of not being, having a hard time getting my foot into the the galleries that I was interested in. At a certain point, I decided that I wanted to you know, that I had just enough, I had enough resources and wherewithal that I could produce my own show, especially in Raleigh, because this is my hometown. I've lived here. I've, I moved back seven years ago and I hadn't even made an effort to try and, and show my work in a gallery setting. So with conflagration of circumstances, you know, the COVID having pushed a lot of businesses out of the storefronts, the timing being kind of just at the cusp of right for people wanting to get back out and see art in a public setting. It just felt like I had this little lightning moment and seized on it. And so far, I've been pretty proud of how it's turned out. Yeah. To the, the journey of, of trying to work, you know, with other uh, organizations, you know, galleries and so forth, and then kind of deciding to take your own personal path. I mean, I think a lot of artists are choosing to do that lately, kind of take their career into their own hands. Yeah. But that's awesome that you took it one step further and, you know, you're you're also producing your own shows which I think is incredible. And I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot of artists are seeing now that it's, it's possible. I know it took me a minute to get out of my own way and think like, you know, what I've been at this for, I, I would say over 10 years, if I count the years directly after college. And there was always a, a measure of like, oh, that would be really nice, but, but I don't know how, but I don't have the resources, but this, but that, and all of those limiting factors kind of kept me in this box for so many years thinking like, okay, there's one, there's one right way to be an artist. And not only that, but I'm, I'm not really doing it. So there was that slight level of despair that came with being a young artist trying to find their way. I agree. I mean, that's something that I talked about with another guest recently was just this idea that there's one, one path to be an artist and which is so not true. I mean, there's, there's multiple ways to go about it. Um, It's not just, you know, you know, find representation from a gallery and then, then your career is set. I mean, it, it's much more nuanced. Usually that doesn't automatically mean your career is set when you do start working with the gallery and also you don't have to. So yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. You, you mentioned funding this, this show. Um, so definitely self-funding. It's a big endeavor for, you know, to produce anything, but also like for an artist to produce their own show. Could you give us some insight on how an artist listening could produce their own show and when they might be ready for that? Like what, what's sort of a cue that like it might be time for to produce your own show? Well, honestly, I mean, this is going to be a little bit different for everybody because granted not everyone's going to find themselves in the, in the same material circumstances, but in those cases, you, 
I mean, a little ingenuity never hurt anyone. Myself, like I had, you know, found myself in the situation where I've, I've made a series of strategic financial choices over the last decade or so of getting myself set up, one of which was, you know, deciding to move back home to Raleigh. I had several reasons for doing that, but one of the main reasons was I had an opportunity to take a financial risk and acquire a, a piece of property from my family uh, that my that was owned by my family. In 2013, I got the property from my grandfather through acquisition, took out a substantial loan to renovate the property, and now I rent it to other artists in Raleigh. The smaller building on the property out is six individual artist studios. So that has passive income that keeps my bills paid. So over the past 10 years, I've been able to build my savings through my artwork, which is my primary source of income. So I found myself with a significant amount of savings. And at a certain point too, like regardless of the number that it cost me, the big, I think the key thing was being willing to take that risk because the mindset of like, that's a huge risk that I can't afford to take. That depends, you know, it's like, it might be just not financially feasible to you, in which case, you know, you could find more inexpensive space, you could team up with other artists, you could clear out a warehouse that you all share, like people are people show in their studios, all kinds of things that you can do just to cut costs on that end. But for me, like, I had to figure out how much it was going to cost and be prepared to fail, be prepared to lose that money, but also understand I had that money coming back. I have steady work. I have, I know that I have at least somewhat of a follower base that I was pretty confident that I could sell enough to make back my costs, which I did, thankfully. And then at the end of the day, it's all about like, you know, what do I want more, saving that money or producing the show? I don't want to go too deep into my personal financial situation because that it might make it seem kind of unattainable to other people. But I think the key takeaway that I would want people to know about is that like, I knew this was something I wanted to do. I had a goal for what I wanted to accomplish by doing it. And I had to weigh the cost of doing it against the benefits of the outcome of the goal and ultimately decided like it was definitely worth the risk. Like it was, it was worth a five figure risk, but it was worth it. And so I, I rented the space and this was through, I had community help as well, community support to give me the space that I needed, like a little bit of a reduced rate on all of that. Hired the staff, produced the work, had friends and family come in and help with a lot of the hanging and install and installation. And then, you know, I just invited as many people as I could possibly name and more to come to the opening. And so it was a huge, it was a huge hit. And I was really grateful that so many people turned out. I think that's amazing. And just a couple key takeaways I would take from everything you've said is, you know, for one, even when a show is a hefty cost uh, to produce, like still there, there's ways to save on the cost, like, you know, having friends help you hang the show and just like, you know, finding finding ways that you can still reduce it, even if it, overall it's a large investment. And the other thing, like you were saying, I mean, did you want to save the money by not doing the show or did you want to do the show? And, you know, ultimately, I mean, it really is like starting any other business. If you want to start, you know, a shop where you're selling something or a restaurant or anything else that, you know, is this in-person physical business, there is that upfront investment of getting the place set up. And it's basically the same for putting on your own show. But if you, if you make sure that you're ticking all the boxes, like it can still be 
even with the cost, it's it's worthwhile and, and you're you're having the exhibition. Exactly. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I'm going to spend that money one way or another, and it's going to be, it's best to be invested in the outcome that I'm, that I'm trying to achieve with my career. Obviously, you know, it's like, it takes, it takes money to make it. You know, there's kind of a cost to standing still, right? Like, it's not like if you just don't do anything, then life is free. Like you still have. I love that point. There's a cost to standing still. I'm going to steal that. Do it. Yeah, please do. Probably there's a greater cost to standing still than there is to making taking a risk and possibly not it not working out. And at the end of the day, I also has have the tax deduction, right? Which is and, and that's that's also a key thing that you should not forget about if you've put on this show and there is the opportunity for that tax deduction. Make sure to take advantage of it. Yeah, it's like hey, I can declare a loss. Great. Yeah, it's like like claiming uh, like an insurance claim or something. You know. You might be able to save money, but if you uh, if you don't do anything about it, then then it's just a lost opportunity. But same here. <laughs> cool. Okay. So yeah, I think I think those are really um, really valuable nuggets of information on on like how to start producing your own show and like you know if there if there's like certain ways that you can be saving money in life, like you know the idea of of moving back to Raleigh. I mean that might have been a decision that at first seemed like it was a step back, but actually it was a step forward. Exactly. It was a huge sacrifice when I made it. It felt like a huge sacrifice when I made it, but also it felt like I was I was seeing the potential of the investment. And it wasn't necessarily just a financial thing. It was. It was an opportunity to acquire an asset and to, you know, have my cost of living be effectively zero. But what I was sacrificing was a lot of credibility for living being a Raleigh based artist, which I ran into as I was trying to get attention in places like LA. They're like, Where do you live? I'm sorry. Who are you? So <laughs> I took, it did take a lot of extra effort in those early years to to show up and make sure that I was still known, you know, on the scene as much as I could. Right, right. And I, you know, that's the other nice thing is that there's been a lot of globalization recently, which means that it's not literally you have to be living in LA or New York or London or whatever to, you know, be making a name for yourself, you can really be anywhere, like, not just the fact that social media and the internet exists, but also because people are, there's, there's humans exporting themselves from these big cities to smaller cities, like Raleigh, where, you know, they're actually becoming places that you, you know, there's, there's trendy restaurants, there's incredible artists, there's, you know, culture still happening in, in smaller cities too, it's like right now, especially. Yeah, exactly. And uh, another sort of economic benefit for me too is like having had the world experience that I did have before I moved back and then moving back and then building myself up from there. I have, you know, not only the skill level putting me kind of at the top of the pile when it comes to artists that are available here, but also the worldly credibility, if you will, that that people get interested in what I'm doing because I've been other places. So it's like this I get this sort of local pride element plus the other aspect of my career which makes me not necessarily just a local artist. So there's a level of interest that's automatic there. Since I'm here it took me 10 years to get the jobs that I'm getting but now I'm getting, you know, national corporations that are moving to Raleigh and have their offices opening up and they're asking me to paint their walls. That's incredible. So that's like, you know, you never thought that Microsoft offices would be opening up in Raleigh, but here they are. And, and I just did one for them. I, I love that. You know, I, I think a lot of artists, creative people, whatever it is, actors and so forth, 
they think that, you know, if they're not in this big city again, they are missing out. And it, it really doesn't need to be the case. Like, especially if, you know, you've, like you said, you've gone to these big cities, you've kind of gotten that mentality, and then you can take it back to the city you grew up and be the 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 top of the heap is that's that's incredible so yeah i mean it's it's not it there is an element of truth to the notion of like missing out by not being in new york or la and i I have certainly felt fallen prey to that a number of times throughout the last decade or so however it's not the same world it was and so it is possible anywhere like to make your own way and do your thing anywhere and if you want to be in new york or la then you have the choice to be able to do that but it's not a make or break thing anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. You have exhibited internationally, which is which is also great. You know, for artists who are also looking to branch out and gain recognition for their work, you know, overseas or in other countries, what would be some tips that you would give to artists, you know, to to try bringing their work internationally? Um, honestly, my, my you know, my first tip would be go to those places. Obviously, the world we live in makes it a little difficult at this juncture but I don't think that'll be the case forever. The other thing is go to a place like Art Basel in Miami, where people from all over the world are going to be congregating once a year for one purpose, you know, which is the the purpose of art. So that's an easy way to meet as many people as possible. And when I say meet people, I mean, like, make friends with them. You don't, you don't, you don't want to go around hawking your business card and trying to get people to look at your portfolio because that doesn't work. Like everybody's really, they're either there to work for themselves or they're there to have a good time. So your best way into a career relationship with them is just by establishing a personal relationship with them first. And then I think, you know, at this point online, there are so many online sites now where you can put your work up and get international reach just as easily as buying a ticket and going somewhere. But also, you know, showing up to, showing up to, I don't know if we're really doing many more mural festivals. I think that might be on the, on its way out, maybe just based on observation. But if there are, if they do pick back up again, then like go there, you know, go anywhere where lots of people are going to be and participate in that in one way or another by volunteering your time or just being a nice person that's fun to be around. Right. No. And I I think that's a really good point that you made uh, is, you know, if you as an artist, you're going somewhere where there's galleries and other people in the art industry who are there, they're kind of like working and busy with themselves. Don't focus on hi, here's my business card. Like, can you add it to your stack of business cards that you've gotten? Like, actually just be friendly with them, like make a connection with, with that person. And that, that'll get you a lot further than just being another piece of paper that, that they have to shuffle through. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're sowing your seeds and you're playing the long game and that's like the easiest way to get people to remember you. And it might, it might take two or three times. Like I had to get in, in front of a couple of people three or four times before I was ready to actually like have a conversation about showing my art to them. You know, the way I got into Blink Cincinnati last year or the year before last was being in the right place and willing to be personable and willing to make, make the request in the way that I did, which was, um, I'll tell you the story real quick was like, Two year, uh, three years ago, I'm in Miami for Art Basel, and I have been out like at, at some art ex- art exhibitions for friends and and everything, and talking to people, and just like having basic, boring conversations with people, and you know, asking their names and remembering who they are. So I I meet this one guy, this 
has a big, tall guy has a camera around his neck. I start talking to him. He tells me a little bit about who he is. And I'm just like polite. And I move on to another conversation. And then the next night, you know, I don't really quite know what's going on that evening, but I know where I need to plant myself in order to find out, which is Winwood Walls. So I go there um, with my, my other artist friend, Bo Stanton as well at the, at the time. And so we're just meet up in Winwood and like go to the bar or whatever. And I run into a friend of mine who's also an artist and ask what she's doing. And she's like, okay, well, we're going to do this, but then we have to go to this, like, we have to go to this dinner here later on tonight. And I'm like, okay, what's the dinner? She's like, yeah, it's for this it's for this uh, art festival that's happening later this year. And they want to get all the artists who are on the roster together and, and meet up and have dinner. And I'm like, Oh crap. Like she gives me a little more information, tells me who it is. I'm like, Oh, I, I met that guy last night. Like I'll wait till he gets here and then say hi to him. One thing leads to another. I end up asking if I can join them at their dinner and they're like, yeah, of course. So like, this is not something I would have ever done at any other point in life. Like my, my res- response to this as a young artist would be like, Oh, that's for those people. And I'm not one of those people. So I don't belong here. And then I would just go off and wander around and feel sorry for myself about it. But like, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm realizing that these people are people and as nice as I, a person as I think I am, like the worst they're going to say is I we don't have space for you. But and they ended up saying yes. And then I talked to, you know, everybody on the, you know, I got to socialize with the friends of mine that I wanted to be there with. And then I got to talk to these people from Cincinnati and I ended up horning my way into the roster, though is included. And then, you know, the night carries on from there and we end up hopping from one place to another and had an excellent time. And I'm just like, wow, like this, you know, that's what it, that's what it takes. Like, you mean to tell me that if I I want something, I can simply make a a request? Right. Fancy that. (laughs) But kind of starting with this idea of just being friendly, like making yourself known and having that person, you know, like you before you're asking something big of them is I think step one. I mean... I've had kind of similar experiences where I've met, you know, gallery directors or or people who have, you know, taken my art career to the next step. And I wasn't trying to like invade their, their personal space and be like, hi, like, you know, I, I want this thing of you. Like, will you show my art? I was just like talking to them. And then they asked me, what do you do? And I said, I'm an artist. And then, and then it, you know, kind of went from there. So definitely, definitely like, not being afraid to be upfront and ask for something, but also not immediately being pushy up front without. Exactly. It's like, and you're not necessarily making the ask. If I had just walked up to John and been like, Hey, will you put me in your thing? Like he might've said no, but because I like established that connection with him for a number of days beforehand, like by the time it was, by the time it was time to make the request, that was easy. And you know, the tip is just like, you know, don't be nervous because people can smell that. Don't have a hidden agenda because we can smell that too. But just be like, yeah, hey, this is who I am. And be confident. Like, you're probably pretty cool. So what have you got to lose by just like being social and and not being so self-focused on on whether you're going to achieve your outcome when you think you want to achieve it or whether you're going to be willing to wait for it, you know? Right. Absolutely. Like, take a step back and, and don't make the first thing that you do be like, what can I get out of this? Like, just cool. Okay. Well, I, I love that. Um, we are going to come right back and Taylor, you are going to tell us more about how to price your effort and time and so much more, but real quick, a message from our sponsors. Artists, 
Have you ever felt anxious, alone, and not sure about the next move for your career? Good news, those days are over. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine art fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we are offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. So Taylor, we talk a lot about pricing for, for artists pricing their art uh, on the podcast. But when it comes to painting murals, so when you're commissioned to paint a mural, what are some tips that you have on appropriately pricing your work and your time? This has been a process that's been refined and refined and refined over the years. So I can kind of tell you what I do, but I could also, I think a, a good place to start would be like, if you're starting out and you're not sure where to start, first of all, a good rule of thumb is to try and figure out a fair hourly rate and extrapolate from there mathematically based on like how much time you think it's going to take you. That could give you a good base rate. That's not necessarily the, the only thing you could base it on. You could base it by the square foot. You could find out, you need to find out how much materials cost and equipment and everything. And then when you're starting out, you start low and then you work your way up. Um, now, what I do is I base my prices off of the number of square feet times the dollar. And that actually, like, that gives me a good place to slide things around. Um, and I, varying factors will include, like, what kind of material cost am I looking at? Like, how many weeks, is it going to take one week or two weeks to do the, to the mural? Like, do I need a lift? This, that, and the other. Am I traveling to do it? Do I need to add a traveling fee? So what I do is I have, like, I have a somewhat of a sliding scale on how much I charge, like small businesses get a little bit of a reduced rate and, and large businesses get the top end of my of my scale. And then I also have, I'll tack on a round number to cover the cost of materials and to cover traveling if I, if I have to. And that's just a way to keep it easy. Like I may eat into my bottom line a little bit in, in terms of material and travel costs, but I get like an average number that I think will basically cover it. And, and that's fair to the client. And then I just add that on. And so I think it's like, for me, it's the easiest to just figure that out through a series of formulas that I have, give them a flat fee and let that be that. Like there's, there aren't any sort of hidden fees. There's not, there's not like, this is the, what the mural cost and then plus materials and I'll get you reimbursed or whatever like that. It's just square footage times the dollar and then work out whether that looks right within, you know, the amount of effort that you know it's going to take. If you need to adjust, you can adjust. And then figure out the averages for the cost that you're going to have to incur and then, you know, work it from there. And for me, like, I, you know, I do an intuitive thing. I don't know, this doesn't work for everybody, but if I like come to a number and I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel right, I'll adjust it. Sometimes it feels like way too much and sometimes it feels like way, not, not enough, you know? I actually do the same thing um, when I'm hanging art. I use a level, but then sometimes the, the ceilings of a place that you're hanging art aren't level. So I use a level, but then I take a step back and I eyeball it to make sure it actually looks good. And if I need to like make that real life adjustment, then I will. But 
starting with with a formula, like you said. Yeah, you start with a formula, but that's not the only like you don't just make do the math equation and then give them the number like here it's going to be because like you have to actually think about it and look at it and adjust accordingly and then make sure that it's intuitive and something like it feels right intuitively. That's what I meant to say. I think the hardest thing isn't coming up with the number, it's being comfortable with it, you know, because you can say, oh, this number feels like high. If I don't lower the number, I won't get the job. But then you lower the number and then you end up getting it and then you end up feeling you cheated yourself and it, it, it's not a good feeling. And then it, and it colors the experience of painting it. You know, the worst thing that can they could say, like, I mean, sometimes they say, no, that's too expensive and move on. But other times they say, like, well, can they, you know, they'd be willing to come down and say, like, okay, well, our budget's this. Like, are you willing to come down in price a little bit? And most of the time, I'll, I'll, I'll generally say yes, depending on what the request is. But I think it's a good rule of thumb is to make sure you're a little uncomfortable with the price. Not like really uncomfortable, but just a little uncomfortable. Cause that's, that's how you kind of know that you're in the right ballpark for what you should be asking. Absolutely. I always say that the best price is when there's some friction, but they ultimately say yes. If there's so much friction that they just are, you know, very quickly, no, that's completely outrageous. Then yeah, then you know you've overstepped. But also if they say yes too quickly and they're like, oh yeah, that's like, like quite cheap, then you might be under undervaluing yourself. God, that's the worst thing to hear is when you put out a number and they're like, oh, that's all? <laughs> like, damn it. <laughs> I could have could have gotten more. Um But I mean, you know, I, I, I know what my my value is at this point and I also know what the market will bear. So I try to try to push the upper edges of the market just a little bit because, you know, I have to, you know, at this point I'm in a little bit of demand around here, so I I can't say yes to everything. So I have to have a little bit of a filter for who's willing to pay what I'm asking and who who can't, you know. I mean it's a it's a real life example of supply and demand. You are one person. You have only so much time, and then there's there's so much demand. So definitely makes sense. And I also think it's really smart that you include the cost of travel and materials and everything just as one bundle versus like sending an expense report afterwards. That can always be messy. Yeah, it's just not. I don't. I don't like that. I like. I like to leave my clients feeling like they know what they're going to pay, and then that's that. Like I and I all of these things are through mistakes and trial and error that I've made over the years where I've like charged. And then I've been like, crap, I forgot to charge for this. And it cost me like 500 bucks. Like, I think it sounds better. And it makes people feel a little more comfortable. If I say this is the price that includes all materials, everything, like I, I'll wire all the materials, I'll be responsible for everything. This is just the the flat rate that covers everything. And then they're done with it. They don't have to worry about whether or not there's gonna be any hidden fees. And what I do do, though, is I have a clause in my agreement where it says like, if you make any changes to the scope of the work after we've made an agreement about it, then it's going to be a punitively high hourly rate in order to make those changes. I've never had to implement that, but I've, I've been in situations where I wished I had had that clause and which is why I put it in. So it's just like you make, you make these changes, like every, every change that I make has come out of an experience with a client where I wished I had had that provision so that I could have protected myself from a headache that I ended up having to deal with, you know? Right. Why is this person limiting just like two rounds of edits? Well, it's because of the time that that person had to, you know, go back and forth with someone 10 times to update something. And it, it was actually double the amount of work just editing. So, you know, I, I worked with a a client that had corporate ties. Like it was, it was a, a mural, a small mural that I did for a soccer tournament and I don't know the upper, the politics of like the, the soccer world, but they had like 
I was ready to paint the mural. It was literally like on the wall, ready to paint the mural. And the client gets back to me and they're like, oh, all the teams have changed their kits for the year. And so we need you to like redraw the kits. And then also like some of the players we have to switch out of the mural because there's some kind of clause in their contract where they can't appear alone without all the other teams. It was just like some re- really weird last minute changes that had everything to do with the politics of the, of the soccer, the football association, soccer association, whatever they call it here. And, you know, nothing to do with the art, but like that cost me heaps of extra time and money in the, you know, because the lift was already rented and on the wall. So I had to like, I had to go back and and clean that up because I was like, I didn't factor for this in my, in the cost of the mural. It was a pretty small mural. So it wasn't very expensive to begin with. Luckily, they understood. I think usually when things like happen, that happen, they feel, they know that this is a tremendous inconvenience. So they want to do what they can to make it right. But like, I'm going to have to charge you extra for this, but it was a conversation that could have been avoided if I had had that in the contract to begin with. So, right. Just like having the space for that. And it's like, you know, it, it, it removes the ambiguity and it allows you to not have to have that awkward conversation of like, Hey, even though this isn't in my contract, like I do need more money or I, I I have to say no to this. It's just like it, it clear communication from the get go is really that can't be overstated how important that is. And sometimes things happen and you have to have those conversations and, and knowing how to tactfully have those kinds of conversations is another important skill to develop. But the easiest way to avoid those things is to have it in your outline right off the bat, you know? Cool. Okay. So Taylor, let's go ahead and take it home for our listeners. What is one thing that our listeners should do today to start revving up their careers in a big way? This is going to sound silly, like a little bit of a cop-out, but the one thing you need to do today is make make the work. Like I can't tell you how many situations I've been in where I had opportunities to get in front of people that I wanted to talk to and I didn't have any new work because I had basically caught up to my workload and I was kind of and I didn't have anything in the in the reservoir. So I mean it's important to always have your portfolio of work up to date and always be sharing it and always be posting it and everything. That's I think the the number one. And then number two, like, you know, if if you're finding yourself stuck in the moment, just sit down and and make yourself a goal. Like, where do I want to be? And not even like in two years, five years, 10 years, but like, you know, where do, what's my next step? Like, where do I want to be next? And what one action can I take to get myself closer to that thing? And it could be like, it could be updating your portfolio. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I sit back and like, just go through my shop and go through SEO and like update everything and make sure my search queries are up to date and everything. It could be I don't know, reaching out to a couple of people, making plans for the next place you're going to travel to meet other artists, that kind of thing. It could be anything. It's just like, I think too many times for me, this isn't my experience. I've gotten so bogged down by the idea of not being where I wanted to be, but not quite knowing what my goal was for the next phase. And so I end up like shooting my focus off in all kinds of different directions. And I don't, I end up paralyzed in the present moment because I can't take an action that's going to get me closer. And so when I'm in that state, like I always fall back to, okay, we'll paint something new because that brings you home to the re- your reason for being and your reason for doing. And then that can, you can refocus yourself there and then, then you have a new piece to share. And so then that's the thing to do. Yeah, I totally agree. And that, that was actually um, something that a, a guest said recently as well was just make sure you're taking the time to create. It's important to focus on the business side of your art, but also the art that you make itself is the thing that your business 
is centered around. So you you do have to make sure to dedicate that time to actually creating and producing new work. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to be like trying to shop yourself around and then have people be like, so what have you made lately? And you have work from 2017 that you still have, but you haven't made anything since then or three years prior or whatever, you know? And the other thing too, just a small thing you can do, I'll, I'll add at the end is like, put yourself, make a Google business listing for yourself, especially if you're like a commercial artist. Because I I swear my my inquiries have jumped threefold since I did that. Because I put myself in Google business as a muralist in Raleigh. So anytime anybody is trying to find a muralist to do anything, like the Google muralist Raleigh, and then my name is the first to come up. So I mean, I think that's huge. I mean, you know, thinking about, especially if you're, you know, something like a muralist, um, thinking about the reverse of like, okay, as a muralist, like what opportunities are going to come up for me that, that I want to, to have happen. And one of them being commissioned murals. So like, how are people going to find you? I mean, that's muralists in, in Raleigh, I'm sure is, is, you know, or some, some keyword strand in, in that realm is, is what you come up with. Right? It's, it's super important. Yeah, actually, it's like, you know, nine times out of 10 people, when people are looking for muralists, they're not looking like they're really going to Google first, you know, unless they're really well connected. And most most clients aren't, they're just looking for someone to put paint on the wall. So that's how you get yourself found these days. Yeah, no, everyone get a Google business listing and make sure your SEO is in order, but also keep on creating. Cool. Well, to all of you business artists out there, Taylor has been here with us sharing her amazing perspective. You can listen to this in all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. To connect with Taylor, you can follow her at Taylor on Instagram and visit taylorwhite.art. We will have both of those links in the show notes. As always, remember that we are Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate a share whenever you're listening to and enjoying the artist business plan. And once again, we'd really appreciate it if you could take just a moment of your time to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews are so critical in helping other artist entrepreneurs, just like yourselves, find us. And as always, I would like to wrap up the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. And this quote is, life is a checkerboard and the player opposite you is time. If you hesitate before moving or neglect to move promptly, your men will be wiped off the board by time. You are playing against a partner who will not tolerate indecision. And that is by Napoleon Hill. Well, Taylor, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you again for sharing your perspective with our listeners. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. 
That's artists making money at superfine.world.